Amen. Praise the Lord. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I thought at first, just because, you know, kind of a little bit of the list that, that Brett has right now, I thought he said, elbow man. Not Ella Bowman. Elbow Man. I thought, well, that's a new superhero I haven't heard of yet. <laughs> but uh, ju just, just so you know, every Sunday I have to overcome stage fright also. So pra praise the Lord. I'm glad that you do it and you know, various of you guys do it that help us with our worship on Sundays, and especially on a Sunday like today because somebody confessed in the last service that they had a gym membership for three years and never went. Never went, though they had a gym membership. And, you know, the good thing about that compared to having, oh, let's say an elliptical, a treadmill, or a rowing machine for three years and never using it, is that if you have a gym membership for three years and you never go, you still feel lighter every month. You feel a little bit lighter every month. And uh, so, I, you know, I'm thankful those Sundays we have songs like the one we just got through singing, Glorious, because it's got that double clap in it. And the double clap is what you do just before you go into your holy dance. And that's a whole nother level of, of exercise as well as excitement. And so praise the Lord. I, I'm, I'm thankful every Sunday for a praise team that puts together something that draws us close to God, gets the blood flowing so we're ready for his word. And so today I'm going to invite your attention to Romans chapter 6. As you're turning there, another thing, we've talked about the youth, another thing that uh, ministry that is opening back up that had to shut down uh, for the pandemic. Uh, some of you know Rodney Selectman. He was in the last service. I don't think he is in here right now. But he, uh, for a number of years, has headed up a ministry to the detention home in Jackson County. So Jackson County Detention Home and people who go out there with him and they have an opportunity to minister to those kids in detention. And um, that is opening back up probably next month. And so... Um, He's not here right now, but if you let the office know, we'll get you in contact with him if you'd like to do that. I especially want to point out that we got the kiosk back there for your last chance registrations for all church retreat, and I'm hoping that you'll do that today. And you know, we have a lot of hype associated with certain activities and events that we do, and so, you know, with all church retreat... Um, well, we, you know, we have a discount if you got in early, and then at a certain, if you sign up by a certain date, you got a free t-shirt. Now, you still get a t-shirt, and I think probably we'll have those next Sunday after the last service when we have our all-camp uh, meeting. But, uh, you know, hype like that. But let me just say this. Let me set aside all the hype for a second, because here is what our all-church retreat would do for you, because... I do recognize we need something that is an old church camp, not just a youth camp, and something where we all get away together. And God, we set aside time with an open, open Bible for God to speak to us together. And it's only two and a half days. And it's just Wednesday evening through Saturday morning. And it's um, close but far out, at, out in Warrensburg at UCM. It's insanely cheap compared to what you get, and we need to have that time together. And so let me, let me just say this. Here's the importance of that. For some of you, those two and a half days will be the most growth that you've ever had in your Christian life. For some of you, it will be the most growth you've had in the last two and a half years. 
For some of you, you know, who are here every Sunday and all the time and you're involved in ministry and doing things, this is still going to be the more growth than you get in two and a half months. So we need the time away together. So last chance today, I hope that you will hit the kiosk on the way out or otherwise get, get on board. And even if you are only coming out for sessions, like evening sessions, we still need you to register. And uh, so the hype is one thing, the reality is another. This Wednesday night's Feed the Soul prayer service is going to be dedicated to praying for all church retreat. Also going to give you an opportunity to hear some testimonies from people who've been there um, years and times past. So uh, Romans chapter 6, the focus of our society today has really been on the struggle with self-esteem, struggle with significance. But you know, I think that we should have the focus on what is really the struggle, and the real struggle is with sin, with its persistence influence and its powerful consequence. So let me open a window on that word, because after America liberated Afghanistan, after 9-11, you know, we went in, uh, you know, 9-11 took place probably by October. We had the first troops going in. By the end of the year, we had the Taliban being pushed out. And then we were an occupying force. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but we actually had an American there who acted as the governor of the place until they could get a constitution, until they could get elections and get a prime minister set up. And so we had to have a government in place in order to hold the ground that had been liberated and prevent the enslaving enemy from coming back. Now, our attempt at nation building has kind of failed because we built, we did build, but we did not change the nation. We did not change the people and the hearts of the people. And so consequently, while the victory was won, we have discovered it takes constant vigilance to live in that victory. Now, let me relate that to an overview of where we're at right now in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6 is your victory chapter. That's where we're at this moment. Romans 7 is the post-victory defeat. It is the sin still has strongholds in the mountains. So do not misunderstand what victory means chapter. Romans 8 is the post-defeat victory, the overcomer chapter. And now here's how I knew that I had to include an exposition of Romans as God's truth for our end times because we are the new Romans. Now I know you don't believe me, but I think that you'll see this once I point it out to you. So let me give you an experiential explanation of why we Americans are the new Romans. Because in our Roman mindset, we display a certain mentality, and it goes all, and it's all the way through our society, and certain, a lot of things have changed just in the last three, four decades. So we've got a majority Catholic Supreme Court, but they are going to still preserve that opportunity for people of the same sex to get married, and they're not going to do away with abortion things. No, they're going to keep the typical Roman mindset of, you know, let people do what they want to do in those areas. But we also display it in our media. So poor Ahemplo, shows like Criminal Minds and Law and Order. And so this is number one. Psychologically, we think 
We can always find a reason outside fallen human nature for why we do evil. That is a Roman idea we have adopted. And so in every show, the FBI, BAU, and the SVU are finding the root cause behind the story. The reason why that person became a serial killer. And, and in doing that... That's, that substitutes for the happy ending that they cannot give us, and so we're satisfied. Now, second, on the other hand, this is number two, therapeutically, we think we can always find one silver bullet to break the bondage in our life. And so we go to that conference that has the gimmick, and that gimmick brings us to this cathartic moment. And that cathartic moment, it makes us cry and grieve over what we cannot have or do not have. And, and you know this from your you know, earlier life as a teenager, you always feel better after you throw up, right? I mean, after you vomit, you kind of feel good for a while. And so the leaders of the workshop, they tell you that, you know, finally you are unstuck, finally you are healed, and that lasts all the way until you get home. And so in the final analysis, this is number three, Pentecostally, we think there's one magic, false prophet, faith persuader, shaman cloth, or holy, holy water. And, and if we can just send in an offering and get it, well, then with our faith, we'll be healed. Or if we'll go to a healing meeting and we'll get into the $100 line to have him pray over us. But you know, if you're saved by being born again, Romans 6 says, sin's power over you, that has already been broken. And that means, and here's our thesis for today's study, understanding Romans 6, 7, and 8 is critical to your ability to walk in victory. Because there is no other way than for you personally, continually, and faithfully to walk in what we're going to show you this Sunday. And God will not give you what you need at a healing meeting. He will not give you what you need as a result of watching a Word of Faith program. Why? Because He gives it to you right here. And so let me take you to our text so you can start today to understand the normal Christian life. And so you can stop right now letting things go back to abnormal post-pandemic. So you've kind of got post-pandemic depression right now. And if you're not careful, it will lead you back deeper than you were before all this started. And so now we've got to get normal and not abnormal in our life. How can we back out of the sin we have backed up into? And notice that nowhere in this chapter does it say that sin is dead or that it is ever going to be in this life. But what we saw last time is how you are dead to sin and should therefore be mortifying in the members of your body the sin that still exists there. So Christ set you free from sin's tyranny by his cross, but now you've got to diligently guard and occupy your life because sin is going to make repeated attempts to invade, reoccupy, and recontrol. So unfortunately, the thing most obvious about Christ's victory in your life might be continual defeat. And that is a shame. That is such a shame because here's our first point for study. All sin has a built-in death factor. It has a death factor, and so you can never separate those two, sin and death. 
Because if it does not lead to physical death, or at least not immediately, it leads to death of relationships, death of joy, death of spiritual power, death of security, death of discernment, death of peace, death of ministry. And so sin that is not covered by the blood of Jesus always leads to death. So when you choose righteousness as your daily optic, you are choosing life. And this is our second point for study. Doing right may bring suffering. It may very well bring suffering. And doing what is holy is hard. I'll admit that. But that is what leads to the fulfilling, abundant Christian life. It is choosing to walk in the Spirit in your moment-by-moment options and temptations. That is the thing that gains, guards, and keeps the ground that Christ gave you in his death. So today I want to show you how to live in obvious victory. Anybody want to hear this? Just give me the V for victory sign. V for victory. And I'll even take paralysis as consent because, you know, maybe that triggered you back to your hippie days. And uh, so first off, notice if you will, and this is number one, how you must understand your relationship to sin. The moment you became a Christian by being born again, your relationship to the world, the flesh, and the devil, it all changed. And here is how, because first, letter A, you are no longer dominated by its passions. Look at verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So a new you comes into existence at the new birth. You're a new creature in Christ. And so you can turn your lusts around and you can be consumed with new cravings than what you had before. And this is what the process of discipleship should incite you to do. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are they, happy are they, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, the old man, the old nature, they are crucified, but they're not dead yet. So Colossians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 5, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which is a great King James word, if you ever study that thing out, because it kind of refers to everything you can do without going all the way. Or maybe, maybe all the things two people can do if they you know, are the same sex, so they can't really. You know, it's so absurd today, isn't it? I mean, it's just absurd. Our society is totally new Roman. I mean, because they say, well, I was born that way. Wait, hold it. You can't do it that I know you weren't born that way. You can't do it that way and get a natural birth. But I mean, but that's okay. We have a free country. But for the Christian, well, you got you to gotta mortify covetousness, which is idolatry. You are crucified in Christ. So drag all of those things into that death. And you can do that because you are no longer ruled by those passions. And we will see in chapter 7 next time how deep-seated the flesh's struggle to rule over us still is, but how we can reign by Christ Jesus instead. Because since you are dead, Jesus is the one who's alive now. 
So you know what? I can go out and get drunk all I want to. I mean, I can, I can cuss and swear as much as I want to. I mean, I can carouse and sleep around as much as I want to, but I don't want to. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm never tempted to. It means I do not have to. And I do not want to because look at verse 11. Likewise, I can reckon me myself also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So my relationship to sin, and this is letter B, is such that I am no longer dominated by its power. Verse 17, verse 17, Romans 6, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now, do not let, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and what we read goes in one eye and out the other. Do not let this go in one eye and out the other because the doctrine that was delivered to you will deliver you. And notice what it says here because this, th these are key things. You've got to obey from the heart. Okay, so how about focusing on heart obedience instead of heart woundedness. What do we focus on today as the as New Romans? We focus on our heart woundedness, you know, what they did to us, and, and, and we can't get over that. And we focus, yeah, okay, how about if you focus on heart slavery instead of your heart's desires? Use the gospel good news. Because the gospel good news is that you are no longer a slave, so stop serving the old master. And, and, you know, all that old lion can do is roar at you. He can kind of roar in your direction, but he cannot command your obedience. So these are identification truths that you must understand. Because in Christ Jesus, you died. And you're now alive by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, letter C, you are no longer dominated by sin's penalty. What is its penalty? Well, look at verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Holiness is not something you have to aim for, strive for, keep all these laws in order to get. Holiness is a fruit of you focusing on the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because verse 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, don't let that go in one eye and out the other. Um, sin pays wages, that's death. God gives a gift of his own life, and that life brings forth fruit. So the, the fruit of righteousness is holiness. So, so, so sin pays wages. Righteousness bears fruit. The law holds no penalty for you due to sin because you have already suffered the penalty of death in Christ. And you have also risen with him, not as the same person, but as a new creature. And now that you got saved and now that you've been born again, that is the new you. That is the real you because that is the eternal you versus the you that you were born in your first birth. 
So these are all identification truths and they take care of everything. Because you are dead to sin's passion, sin's power, and sin's penalty. So second, second on the other hand, to live in your obvious victory. This is number two. You must understand your responsibility towards sin. Temptations are still real. We just don't have to yield to them. So how do we successfully resist temptation when it comes into our life? What are my responsibilities in the new life that I have in Christ Jesus? Well, first, letter A, you have an unfettered free will to choose. Do you need to pray and ask God to break sin's power? No, not if you're born again, because sin's power has already been broken. But what you do have a responsibility to do is to choose to walk in the Spirit. Okay, watch. Look at Galatians 5, verse 16 on your handout. This I say then, four words, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, it's always only one or the other. And if you do the right thing, you won't fall into doing the wrong things. You must choose who you submit to and who you give in to. You know, most unbelievers think if they become a Christian, they lose all their freedoms. I don't know why this is fresh on my mind, but the fight they had last night. What is that? U- UFC to, to, to whatever it was. Okay, so, you know, here you are as an unbeliever. You're in UFC 666. And uh, you think if you get saved and give in to God, you lose all your freedoms. No, baby Baba, you in a cage already. Can I just tell you? You are already in a cage match. But if you get saved, the door is open. Nobody has more freedom than the Christian does. And and because you have that much freedom, yeah, you are free to choose. You are also free to say no to sin. Okay, wait. Your temper can be under control if you take control and give it to Christ instead of self. So your lust, your jealousies, your suspicions, your selfishness, your victimhood, your negativity, your complaining, your bitterness, your unforgiveness can all be under control if you will take control and give it to Christ himself instead of yourself. So second, letter B, choose not, since you have an unfettered free will to choose, choose not to yield to sin. The moment you say no to sin, you start walking in victory over it. When you quit yielding to it is the moment you start to be free from it. If you yield to it, you are drugged back into it. And yet look at what Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not visible, they're not material, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So you are not mighty. You're not mighty enough. But God, you know what? God's given you some weapons. And those weapons do the work. And they're mighty through God. Even, verse 5, to the casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, which is what you need in your life at that moment, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having, watch this, do not let this go in one eye and out the other. Look at verse 6. Don't let it go in one eye and out the other. You need to have in a readiness, you need to be ready to revenge all your past disobedience 
by fulfilled obedience. So you get revenge on the sin that tripped you by standing back up again. Now, let me just say a word about the mind, since verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10 says this is a kind of a key area. Your physical brain, carnal, interacts with your invisible mind, spiritual. Your mind, unfortunately, in the time before you got saved, and even now maybe, if you're being deceived by Satan, gives your brain certain data that it has stored over the years. Therefore, many times you assess what you are able to do based on old data. And what you were trained to think about yourself from the old man, or from your parents, or from your upbringing, or from your environment, or from your past. But what Jesus Christ does is invade your life with a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, who has a new mind, the mind of Christ. So his goal is to take the principles of the Bible and renew your mind with new data. That is why biblical authority is so important. The attack today is not just an attack on your mind. The attack today is an attack on the Bible, on whether or not the Bible you have and you read is really Scripture and really God's words or not. And unfortunately, even a lot of people in Baptisthood and evangelicaldom do not believe that it is. And that is a shame because that is why we's in the mess that we's in. God wants to change the way you think based on new input. And so the old tape, the old hard drive is not removed and it's not totally erased. It is only erased as new data is continually being stored. And, and as that new data is stored, it is rewriting it. Uh, that is the value of our all-church retreat, among other things. Getting away with other believers and open Bible and getting a challenge from the Word of God from men of God, like, like uh, Pastor George Grace and Pastor Joe McCaig. And, you know, you have the right, but you also have the responsibility to not let sin reign, but to choose to yield the members of your body as instruments in ministry. Now, I don't know if you caught that because... Paul's not playing head games here. I mean, he doesn't, he's not just talking head games. The mental is an actual reality only because of how you function in ministry. And so there's nothing more effective at changing your state than renewing your mind and yielding to serve. Why? Because then you can decide to do an about-face and face the sin which has enslaved you. And third, this is letter C, that means you must choose not to be exposed to it. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So it's either righteousness bears fruit, unrighteousness has wages. Do you see the word yield in verse 13? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it is translated as present. Present your body a living sacrifice. It means to bring it and be present. Do not make your body a sacrificial offering to sin anymore. 
You don't have to do that because the you part of you is free from the body of sin that you still live in. Verse 6. So do not let the external part, the material part, the visible part, continue to act like your soul is stuck to it. You know, you can say all you want about gender inclusion and exclusion and the freedom we have as Americans to define and design our own morality. But God says, are you a Christian? Do not make your body a sacrificial offering to sin. Which is why Jesus told us to pray air day in Matthew 6, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine, we can do that. You can deliver us. Because God, the whole kingdom is yours. And the power. And the glory forever. So if you're praying to God not to lead you into temptation, why would you intentionally get up and go there? Do not set yourself up, but rather, verse 13, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, unrighteous, of righteousness unto God. Therefore, in the final analysis, and this is letter D, your responsibility is to choose to present yourself as a sacrifice and slave to Jesus. Verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Because that's all sin does. One sin leads to another. Surface sin leads to deeper sin. Iniquity just leads to darker iniquity. Whereas if you yield your members servants to righteousness, it leads you higher to holiness. So sin leads to deeper sin. Righteousness raises you to holiness. Paul uses in this verse the politically incorrect illustration of slavery right in the face of those who were slaves in the empire. And not because he's insensitive, not because he's not woke, but because slavery is the best illustration he can give to show you what you were versus what you are now. So Paul says you need to make a daily present of yourself to God and be present with other believers on Sunday in worship and getting the word. You know, some people today actually say the institutional church is not the best model of Christianity. I mean, some people we know say the institutional church is not the best model for Christianity or put it this way, not conducive to their style of ministry. Which is really too bad because the church is the institution God set up. So I don't know what to tell you. Maybe your refusal to yield your body as a sacrifice is one reason you're so messed up. Hello, somebody. And maybe your inconsistency in being Christ's slave in ministry with us is another reason. I'm just saying. I mean, my name is Alan. I'm your friend. Uh, All I'm trying to do is help you out today. I I mean, I just want you to be woke to this so that you are balanced. And this is our third point for study. Yielding is passive, but yielding yourself as a servant to obey God in righteousness, that's active. Yielding yourself to us in ministry, that's active. That's obedience to God in righteousness. I mean, it's just not sitting around not sinning. 
That's passive. It is actively getting involved with us in ministries here at this church. Choose to engage your hand, your heart, and your mind in ministry with us. Why? Because these are the keys to living in obvious victory. Why do you think God gave you a sword, a shield, and a helmet for? Ephesians 6. He did it so that you can use your hand, your heart, and your mind in ministry with us. If there was anything else, I'd tell you. I mean, if there was a better solution, if there was any other solution, I would let you know. This is the solution God gives, and it is sufficient. This is what the Bible says, so do not fall for the devil's okey-doke. Number three, understand your true role is to rule over sin. Understand your rule over sin. Why? Because first, letter A, Christians can walk in kingdom authority. Walk with me down this pathway right now. You are dead to sin, verses 1 and 2. You are walking in newness of life, verses 3 and 4. The old you is crucified, verse 6. You are freed from sin, verse 7. Sin does not have dominion, verse 14. You have been set free from sin, verses 17, 18, 22. And if you will walk in that kingdom authority, then second, second, letter B, you can live in consistent victory. Okay, wait, no Christian is perfect, but every believer is transformed. And those who have stopped being transformed are still yet transformable. And if you walk in authority, you will live a transformed life. Why? For two incontrovertible reasons. First, the word of God will do the work. And second, God is obligated to bless with power any Christian that looks like his son, Jesus. How'd you miss that all these years? The, the end of sin is death. But sin is really good at covering over your lack of having life. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's really good. Sin is big business today because it covers up your sorry reality and makes you think and makes other people think you have life. So do not live in a centrifuge of fear. Because that will leave you in a lifestyle of sin. So have the faith starting today to be a courageous believer. These are identification truths. Sin is no longer comfortable for you because you're a new creature in Christ. But you know what? Here's the dealio. It was just like in your younger life when you learned how to smoke, drink, and do drugs. You remember that? You learned how to, and it was a process. You had to learn how to smoke, drink, and do drugs. I mean, you know, I don't smoke because when I was 10 years old, my dad sat me down at the kitchen table with a cigar, and I turned green. (laughs) And I discovered, you know, that's kind of an acquired activity, and, uh, you know, I didn't ever drink because he was a borderline alcoholic, but, uh, you know, what, what tastes I had at that age was like, well, this is really an acquired taste. I'm not sure I want to drink lighter fluid. <laughs> and, uh, but you discovered that if you do it, persist at it long enough, and your body will stop warning you. I mean, first time it warns you, and the second time it warns you, and the third time, and it's like, okay, dude, you on your own with this. It will stop warning you. Well, why not persist in righteousness 
so that you can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's movements. I just gave you the answer. Now, I didn't tell you to stop taking your medication, but I just gave you the answer. I mean, any old lost person can live a continual lifestyle of sin and rebellion, and the best that a lost man can do on a good day is give himself justifications and rationalizations for his victimhood, for his victimization. Why don't you live in a consistent lifestyle of righteousness through the power of the word and the blessings of Christ-likeness? This third thing is so very important, letter C. Christians can live righteously and still reject legalism. Legalism is trying to be holy in your own strength. Legalism is living by your own willpower and good works. But you know, doing that will burn you out, it'll wear you out, and eventually you will walk out of this church if you try and do that. Because doing that is not grace-based. You need a grace-based faith to live holy in your obvious victory. You need a faith-based view of your Bible, not a skeptical one, and then you need a grace-based faith in life. Now, does grace mean that you can continue to sin as long as you admit it? (laughs) You know, as long as you come back and ask forgiveness for it, well, I can keep doing it. No, because... Uh, then you've spun from legalism to license. So Paul says in verse 15, look at what he says in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. You know, and that doesn't just mean God forbid that you should ever do that. No, that means God will forbid you. God forbids that happening. I mean, God forbids that happening because what happens when you continue, you, you have that mentality that says, okay, the law doesn't apply to me. I can do what I want because of grace and you keep on sinning. God makes sure that you end up not looking like any of the rest of us so that the world will not confuse you with the true Christian. God forbids it. Verse 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey you will become a slave to that thing in which you keep sinning with impunity, with no conscience, having seared your conscience. And and it will be obvious to the world you are a slave to that and not a slave to Christ. Whether of sin unto death, wages, or of obedience unto righteousness, fruit. But today we have a lot of people who feel free from the responsibility to Christ's body, to the local church, to active ministry, They feel free to live without functioning in a local church and and serving there. They feel free from tithing off the top, giving God the first fruits as an expression of love and blessing to God. Say, Alan, I don't like tithing. I think it's Old Testament. Great. Do more than 10%. You're free to do more than 10%. (laughs) Uh, The the point is, it's got to be first fruits as long as you take it off the top, more than 10%, and, 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 you know, and then give it to God and and, and rejoicing. That's okay. But, you know, a lot of Christians today feel free from any inconvenient truths that Scripture imposes on them. Oh, boo. Living grace-based faith means you have the power for righteousness and to fund your own ministry in it. Living grace-based faith means you have a responsibility 
to serve God. Living grace-based faith means you have a tool for the gospel and to make disciples. Living grace-based faith means you've got the resources of the life of Christ himself to meet every challenge in life because these are identification truths. So in the final analysis, this is letter D, personal holiness is practical evidence of reigning in Christ. Christians doubt their salvation and they live in insecurity if they are living with unrepentant sin in their life. And your problem is not that you struggle. It's not that you struggle with sin. Your problem is you've stopped struggling. That inconsistency and that contradictory sin brings shame, guilt, and dysfunction with it. You become a sick sheep, and then you start hiding from the shepherd and the flock, which is the worst thing that you can do because that prevents you from getting healed. It prevents you from getting healed and then getting involved in ministry and getting stronger. And getting healed is the key to the fruit that living an obvious victory brings into your life. Verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now shamed? You had no fruit, you had wages, and it brought death. For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So just as we close, the last key to living in your obvious victory and Then we'll raise up out of here. Number four is to understand your response to sinfulness. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin pays its wages, but righteousness bears its fruit. And that's just natural. It will just happen. It has to happen or the word of God is not true. So it will happen. So when you are in fellowship, you get the benefits of the relationship. But breaking the covenant by sinning results in the loss of the benefit and the interruption of fellowship with God. Therefore, there is dysfunction. But the gift of God is eternal life, not just moment life, not just crisis life, not just, okay, I prayed one time and I got saved life. It's eternal life. And these are people who are already saved that Paul is writing to. So now he is saying, you have the life of God to be experienced right now, but it is still dependent on you being a slave to righteousness and not to sin right now. It is a function of who you choose to yield to, verse 14, shown by presenting your body to God through this church and ministry, Romans 12.1. Now let me show you quickly what you need to do immediately and then, then I'll let you go. For the Christian, you must apply both 1 John 1, 9 and 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Watch, watch 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your response to sinfulness has to be repentance. And it has to be a repentance which confesses to God and claims the blood of Jesus. That is what restores your fellowship with God, but that's not all. That's only half. The other half is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, having the word of God, 
Let us cleanse ourselves with those promises by getting into the word from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, that is how you perfect holiness, in the fear of God. So after you've you restored your fellowship with God, you need to take the water of the word of God and cleanse your conscience so that you can get back up, start back in ministry, serving him. That is yieldedness. Yieldedness is not just saying, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. That's impossible. That's not yieldedness. Yieldedness is saying, God, I'm presenting myself to serve you right here because if I walk and do that, I'm not going to get in this trouble over here. So wash your conscience with the word of God. Then the word of God does the work in perfecting holiness as you set yourself apart for the mission. That's what the word holiness means. But what if you're lost today? What if you are not yet a Christian by being born again? What should your response to sinfulness be? Get saved. We put some verses on your handout for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. The foolishness of preaching is what saves them that believe. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul was acting in such a way as to by all means save some, Jew or Gentile. Romans 5, verses 9 and 10. We can be saved from wrath because we will be saved by his life. All the way through the New Testament, Paul talks about you getting saved. Jesus said he came not to judge this world, but to save the world. And he was talking about the individual people in it. Peter said, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Get saved today. Say, Alan, how do I do that? Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, all you have to do to receive new life today is to pray. And we understand, we don't know all God knows, but we understand what God knows. We understand what God knows, even though we don't know all he knows. And because we don't know all he knows, we give a free invitation of the gospel because you do have an unfettered free will to respond. Jesus did this all the way through the Bible down to the book of Revelation. Whosoever, let him come. You can do that today. Now, if you don't pray sincerely, you may not get saved. But if you pray to make heart contact with God, all you have to do is say something like, God, I want to be born again. So today I ask Jesus to be my Lord, to be my King. God, save me for Jesus' sake. I need an exchange of life. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my old sinful life. And God, I am claiming today the promise of your word for myself. That you are putting in me the righteous, spotless life of your son, whom I trust to save me right now. And if you pray that prayer, will you just come to the front after the praise team has a chance to sing us out? After we sing, will you just come to the front and let us know that you've prayed so we can, number one, rejoice rejoice with you. And second, I want to take just one minute and give you something that will tell you how to grow in your faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ because you need to start overwriting 
that old data because if you will overwrite it, God will overwrite it with power from his son. Next Sunday is the very last chapter of the book of Revelation. I mean, what a great series this has been. And, and to close it, we're going to take you to eternity and beyond. But if you've gotten saved and you've not yet gone all in by getting baptized, come here to the front after we get done singing. Let us know so we can get you on the list. Two weeks from today, after all church retreat, we'll have baptisms. If you want to be a member of our church by transfer a letter or statement of faith, come forward after we get done singing. This, of course, this altar is open for you to come forward and pray. So, Father, I thank you today for what you've given us in your word. Truly, the word of God is sufficient. How could we ever be deceived by the devil to think it is not so? All the time he says to us, yea, hath God said, as if somehow it's not correct, as if somehow it's not enough. And he steals away from us the only weapon that will work, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's, that's the only offensive weapon we have. He concentrates on that. He takes that away. And when we don't have that sword and put it in our hand and use it productively, in our life and in ministry, then, Lord, we, we end up de- living a deceived life, even though we're saved. What a shame. We don't want to be like that anymore. Lord, help us not to be that as we go forward in the weeks ahead. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.